Hola, bonjour, hello. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible to have a word language class where instead of teaching the language, the rules, and the vocab, you and your students use the language to enjoy learning about each other and the world? I hope your answer is a big yes, because that's exactly what you will discover inside Growing with Proficiency, the podcast. My name is Claudia Elliott, a Spanish teacher born and raised in Colombia, who is as passionate as you are to support our learners to grow in their proficiency and cultural competence. My goal is that in this podcast, you find clarity, strategies, ideas, and inspiration that you can bring into your classroom the next day. Are you ready? Get comfortable while I grab my cafecito colombiano and let's start this conversation now. Hola, bonjour, hello. Welcome to a new episode of Growing with Proficiency, the podcast. If you are new to this episode, just listening today, you are for a treat because we have an incredible guest that is a friend of this podcast. She has been here before. And I'm going to let you guess for a second, but no, no, let, let, let's just say is my great colleague, a incredible friend, a Dr. Florencia Henshaw, and she is here today. She was here a few months ago in episode 41 and 42, I think, talking about input. And after that, we said we need to talk about output. So now we're talking about output. Florencia Welcome to Growing the Proficiency, the podcast. Again, thank you for accepting this invitation. Thank you for inviting me again, and especially to talk about one of my favorite topics. I love output. Oh, my gosh. But you are not alone. You are definitely not alone in that because I think we all, as teachers, love output. Because at the end, it's kind of like you see the fruits of your labor. Like at, at the end, it tells you something. And I think for our, most of our students, they are in our classes, not with the idea that I have to read or listen, but with the idea that I can finally quite or talk. So I think you are not alone. Well, it's funny that you say that because that is one or two or three of the reasons why I think in many of our classes, we inevitably end up favoring output at the expense of input. Uh, we all do it. I do it myself. I know great colleagues who are proficiency-based, task-based. And yes, the main assessment is the output part, not the input part. Um, and while I get it 100%, we still have to remember we cannot expect output if there were enough opportunities to build a system in the first place, if there wasn't enough input in the first place. So while I completely understand the allure of output for the teacher and for the students, we still need to make the students understand of the incredible value of input. Uh, and that is the other episodes that you were referring to earlier and and i and, and i think we we did it right eh, florencia because we recorded first the input yes <laughs> so i think we the sequence is is really well planned because i agree with you i think there is um an, an urgency like we feel like we need to and I, and I guess it's just because most of the textbooks work like that because most of the observations for teachers 
are really looking at what the students can do and can say, can write. So we feel like in this middle where we know or we may be understanding that, yes, of course, it's obvious you need input to output. But I think the system where we are, the resources that we have, the the teachers, our human nature kind of like push us to output. But yes, we need to remember that no no input, no output. So let's no, start with I think output. I mean, I think even if you look at the three modes, two of the modes are about more output than input, right? So even if you are not following a textbook, I think you still fall into the the favoring of output. Um, the fact that output definitely feels student-centered because it's the student producing things. Again, student-centered, oh, that's good teaching, right? Uh, the fact that output feels a lot more active, there's more noise, there's more something happening also feels like, well, that's qualities of good teaching, active, student-centered, right? I think it's just a matter of how do we make the input or mostly input activities be just as student-centered and as active as our output activities? And I love that you mentioned observations because that always comes up a lot in my workshops where it's like, well, this sounds great, but my students aren't quite ready to do this. And yet my supervisor, admin, whoever who comes and observes is looking at students talking, students doing something themselves, not the teacher talking and the students just doing gestures or whatever. Um, and there are actually ways <laughs> that you can do activities, such as, for example, in, in one of them we have in chapter three, which is input in, in common ground. But a lot of people, if they're just observing the class, they might think it's output. But what the students are doing is mostly reading or reusing language you gave them. So it is still input. It just looks like output because the students are walking around and asking each other questions and writing something down. But really, a lot of what they're doing is just using language you gave them. So all they're doing is demonstrating that they understood the language you gave them. So it's still input. It's not output. It looks like output. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. What is output and what is not quite output? Yeah. So let's start with that. What is output, Florencia, and what is not? Because I, I am afraid that we all have done a lot of activities in our classes thinking like, okay, this is output, but not truly. And I'm there with you if you're listening and say, oh, that may be me. Yeah, that may be me too. So we all want be there. So let's start thinking about, talking about what is output and what is not. So I'll start with the analogy of input. Last time we said that input is not just exposure. So to me, the same analogy, but flipped, applies to output. Output is not just production. Because just production would be the same as me repeating sounds you're making. Is that output? Not quite. Uh, being out loud. Is that output? Not quite. And I have to say, here's where some people are going to say, well, no, I disagree. And that's fine. They can disagree. My way of defining output, because I am all about the building and accessing the system, not working on the mechanics of language. So my the way that I look at output and that most, I think, linguists look at output is expressing meaning, retrieving from your system. Those two things need to be there, that you are expressing meaning and that you are retrieving from your system. And your system can be 
extremely precarious. <laughs> it's still a system. Your system might be a lot of memorized chunks and it's still a system, but you are retrieving from whatever you have available in your head as opposed to seeing something written down, seeing the translation of it, and simply reading that phrase. If that's all you're doing, then it's, it's not coming from your system. It's just simply coming from you recognizing that translation. Say, yep, that's what I want to say. It would be the equivalent of, hey, Google Translate, how do you say this? And then you read it out loud. Is that output? Most of you teachers are going to tell me, no, that is Google Translate's output. Well, it's the same thing with the word wall, with the chat map, with whatever you want to say. If the student is only, and I mean it, only matching the, oh, that's the translation of what I want to say. That is the word I want to say. So they say it just because they said it. It doesn't mean it's output. It could still be service input. Okay. But it's not output. It's not coming from their heads, so to speak. Um, and the reason why I think it's important to make that distinction, and of course, the, the expression of meaning, I think it's, it, that goes without saying that, of course, we want the students to be expressing meaning because going back to what I said about input, form, meaning connections, not form, form connections, but form, meaning connections. So meaning needs to be there. Can I just be sounds? Can I just them writing symbols? It has to be with the intention of expressing meaning. Um, and the reason why I think it's so important to, Talk about the fact that they need to be retrieving from their system. But there's two reasons. One is because we need them to build a system in the first place. As I said before, cannot forget about that. And the other one is that if they don't, then output is not serving the purpose of honing the skill of retrieving from the system, which is the function of output. Um, so input helps to build the system. Output helps with the skill of accessing the system, and both are great. Um, and so to hone the skill of accessing something, you need to be accessing that something. Oh, I love that because we have kind of clarity of what is the role of input. But there is so much debate, discussions, confusion around what is output doing for our students so there is kind of like these two uh, i don't know two sides of this conversation one is saying you know output doesn't do anything for our proficiency to develop proficiency for our students and then there are some people that says output does everything and i don't think it's either one so in your view, what is really, because at the end it's like, why are we even asking them to output? Like, what is their role? How is outputting? Like, uh, like how is that helping our students to build that proficiency that we want to see? Okay. I love that you brought that up. And I think that a lot of what I heard is because people are saying that output does not contribute to acquisition. And that's different than proficiency development. Because a lot of the people who are saying that is because they're defining acquisition as building that system. And then we have to figure out, well, what is building for you? What is building for me? Right. So if we're talking about simply making those four meaning connections, establishing the four meaning connections, then yes, that comes from input. Output is about retrieving. So if it's not there, there's nothing to retrieve. Right. So it has to come from somewhere. Then yes, it comes from the input. I agree. But if at the end of the day, what we want is for students to gain 
communicative competence to gain, to develop proficiency in all of its glory, <laughs> not just interpretive proficiency, but also uh, presentational and interpersonal proficiency, then we have to help them with accessing that system. And I mean, even BVP, Bill Van Patten, who is known for input, even he acknowledges that, yes, at the beginning, the beginning stages, I'm going to paraphrase this quote, the beginning stages, it should be comprehension oriented, but comprehension only forever and ever does not maximize language development. We know that. So I think it's time to stop with so much of the this or that or which camp are you in because it doesn't need to be that way. We just need to understand how each of them contribute and what we can expect of input, what we can expect of output, and that there's not a direct correlation. So not just because sentences in, sentences out, I wish. You could put sentences in all day and they understand sentences all day. But then what comes out is probably a list of words, right? And it's just, and that is just the nature of language development. Comprehension precedes production and comprehension uh, develops faster than production, right? Um, Susan Gass has a great quote that says, there's a lot of mileage to be traveled from input to the learner to output that the learner can produce a lot of mileage and is a long and winding road it's 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 very complicated what our brain is doing with language to try to build that system and then to be able to retrieve it from the system when that is needed again it's another miraculous thing that our brain is doing but it doesn't quite work as flawlessly as we would like it to. So we need to have realistic expectations that just because the students are understanding a lot of language, what they can produce might still be two or three levels below. I love to put this example when I'm talking about this specific topic. And is this impatient that we have or this unrealistic expectation that we have when we spend, you know, a couple of weeks talking about the verb to like, you know, I like, I like, I like, you like, you like, do you like? And then we go and ask, you know, do you like? And then, you know, our students are not going to produce that. And we're like, oh my God, these students don't pay attention, don't listen. And then we are like, so just fast to say, just it's not working. And I just remember my own children. I remember my own children when they start talking after like 18 months, right? 18 months or just listening. And they say a word and it's conjugated incorrectly. It's just with the wrong ending. They just made a mess. And then they say it and you just jump up and down so excited because they said their first word. But yet, when our students there to say that first word, we're like just so ready to strangle the kid because it's like, I've been talking to you for this long and I've been asking. And then the only thing that I get is just one word. And I think it's having the realistic expectation. And now I, I would love for you to to help us a little bit, and I, and I think you just already mentioned it, but I just to have clarity, I think input and output or the amount or the the focus of input and output in novice classes are different than in intermediate classes. And I think we just don't even think about that. We just kind of like do the same everywhere. So how that, I mean, and I know that there is not a math here, like, right? Like there is no like 80% plus 20%. No. So it's yeah. not about math. And I think it's a lot about looking at who is, in our classes, how things are working, how things are developing. But what is 
kind of like the focus should be in our first years moving up to year three or four. I mean, in the intermediate levels, when we reach to those levels in terms of input and output. That's a really good question. I mean, I think no doubt the first two years should be a lot more input driven. Um, and the input doesn't have to be just the teacher speaking in the target language all day. That, that as we talked before, that's not necessarily input. So I think we need to just be planning a lot of activities where the bulk is input. Even when you're wanting to write a little thing about their family or whatever it is, just have them, you know, rearrange sentences and add some details. You know, it's like they just they're adding a few words, but they're not writing the whole thing on their own. So just always try to 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 make it more input heavy than output. Um, and if you are going to do some things, which obviously, I mean, the students can do, can understand some basic questions and then respond, um, then have realistic expectations in terms of who's at level and then fully reward them for it. So if a student is just giving you some words and that's exactly the level you're targeting because you're targeting novice, mid, novice, high, then that's fine. Clap for them. I understood you. You gave me some words. We keep going. Um, as opposed to putting so much weight on the output part of it, which then the student ends up thinking, I need more practice with output. <laughs> I don't need this input stuff. The input stuff, I already got it. It just doesn't work that way. So at the beginning, make sure that the students are seeing the importance of input, not just in what you do in class, but also in how they're being graded, right? That the grade reflects that the bulk of it is coming from them demonstrating comprehension of language. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then, like, of course, yes, have some output assessments. Absolutely. Nobody's anti, nobody, nobody has said, I hope, that first and second year they shouldn't be producing anything. No, absolutely not. And it's going to come natural to them to want to say things. And by all means, celebrate it because it means that they're retrieving from their system, which means the connections are getting stronger. That is beautiful. Go for it. Um, do activities where they are working on retrieval, where you're pushing them to see if they remember what these words are. I think sometimes that's missing, right? We think that it's just a lot of input, 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 and then output spontaneous 100% on your own and the brain is freaking out, right? So gradually build that skill, low stakes, no stakes of retrieving. Let's see how much you remember. Let's see how much you remember. Let's see how much you remember. Um, and not, of course, not the rush... I'm, I'm going on a million tangents here, but we all know also the struggle we have in terms of input and output is this pressure of keep covering and keep covering and keep covering and they keep covering and they keep covering. The problem with that is that then the frequency in which they see this word goes down drastically. And so we cannot to remember what the words are or the, what the form is. It just there's nothing in the system to be retrieved because they didn't have enough chances of this high frequency of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. So there's no percentage of input to output. I think it just gets to the point where, let's say you are reliant on some chat mats or on some word walls, right? Uh, or textbook, if you're higher, right? You're probably using a textbook and you let the students look at the textbook to, to as a tool, right? Um, I think it gets to the point where they don't need to be looking at it, right? Where they are now retrieving from their system. But that takes so many repetitions. And I know repetition sounds really bad, right? So that's not proficiency-based. 
but it is just this frequency of seeing the same thing over and over again, of having to retrieve, not just seeing, but having to retrieve the same thing over and over and over again. That's what keeps the connections strong. And that's what helps them to build that fluency uh, and get to higher levels. Now, intermediate, I do see sometimes, uh, unfortunately, the push for output uh, being stronger and sometimes more justified, but we cannot forget that students need input throughout their career <laughs> as language learners, right? So not just because they, they're done with the novice stuff that they, that input is done, uh, we still need a lot of input. So still keep up with input. Of course, the input needs to be going up and up and higher in terms of the level, yes. Um, but of course, we can expect more output out of the students. And so there's more that you can do with output. But I would still probably try to keep it at 50-50 if I can. Um, you know, if we're talking about, I'm not talking about AP necessarily. Those courses are very specific. You know how it is, right? And so you're preparing them to take a specific test and all that. Okay, you need to work on certain strategies. Yes. Even if you're the students are getting ready to take the apple and so you know for the seal by literacy and so you want them to get really good at keep adding details while you talk okay those are skills you work on and then yes you need to be pushing them and, and getting used to that type of task um but all i'm trying to say is that beginning a lot more input and by that i mean comprehension of language comprehension of language comprehension of language <laughs> Um, not anything and everything, because then there's not this high frequency of forms. There's not the high frequency of vocabulary, right? Um, and then intermediate, yes, go to output. But again, don't forget the input. They're still going to need that input. And the other thing, if I just want to add one more thing, it came out in my methods class last week, which is absolutely true in all of our programs. I mean, I don't know how it is in K-12. I, I give you that much. But at least in higher ed, every course needs to be covering almost a different topic. And so if the student gets to the equivalent of Spanish three, Spanish four, I guess now they're talking about, you know, the environment or something, but they're no longer talking about their daily routine. And so because daily routine is covered right in the first or second semester. And so now the student, if you were to ask them, what do you do every day? They tell you two things and they freak out because they don't remember how to so I think that we need to pause and always go back to what are our goals in terms of our proficiency goals. And if you're trying to get them to intermediate, mid, high, whoa, cross your fingers, but okay, intermediate, low, mid, for sure, then we need to keep coming back to these topics. We need to keep asking them, what are you doing next week? And tell me more, but then push them to give you more. What did you do last weekend? And give you more. You have to keep coming back to these things. It's not a, we covered it, you learned it, good enough, we're going to keep moving. Even if you're proficiency-based, we tend to move so quickly from one topic to the next, and we don't revisit some of those basic things that we talk about uh, that I think it would be important. Even if your maybe routine is mostly input at the beginning, keep revisiting routine or keep revisiting what are you doing next weekend with, with the students. So maybe now push for more output. I, I just, the there's so many at the beginning things that I basic that's great keep pushing them keep pushing them to tell you more what else are you going to do but we have to keep revisiting some of these things that we outside of the classroom with our friends talk about all the time how was your weekend right we ask each other that question 
no matter what. And yet with the students, sometimes we do, we talked a little bit, we move on, but nobody pushes for more, right? And so I think that some of these basic things we talk about so much with everybody, to keep revisiting them across different levels and not just one time you learn how to talk about your free time, done. Now we're going to keep... Why? Why do we move on? People talk about their free time a lot. Let's keep coming back to it. I, I mean, there's so many things that you mentioned that it just it, it just makes so much more sense to me. And when we're talking about AP Florencia, and I think that is one of the reasons we don't have more students in the upper levels is because we just don't have enough time in those lower levels to get the input. And when we go to the upper level, level three, level four, we're so focused in the output and we don't keep the input like rich and abundant. So the students just don't have the skills and there's a lot of frustration and they just give up because it's an elective. So like, I'm not going to just ruin my GPA because I'm asking to have like a, a you know, an essay here and I'm not going to do it. And even in AP, because in my school, AP is open. So anybody can come to AP. They don't have to be prereq to AP. If they have Spanish one, two or three, they can just go from three to AP, four to AP. So it's open. And we have a students who, who are novice high, intermediate low, like like with, you know, with struggle in AP. And then how we're going to just come and say, write up an argumentative essay. It would be like a disaster. So we just need to provide more input. And then you mentioned about this kind of like focusing on the environment and talking like for 90 minutes, three weeks on the environment and then check. Now we're going to talk about health and we're going to talk like for four or five weeks. Okay, check. Now we're going to talk about immigration Four and five weeks check and then we forget about the people in the classroom and one of the things that I do is calendar talk and every single day I do calendar talk but I say like what is happening in your day and do you have a test and who is practicing and who has worked and that conversation looks so different in my level one than in my AP class and then people say do you do the calendar talk in AP like yeah because they have tests they have jobs they have weekends they have Life. I mean, like that is part of what we do so we can come back to these conversations about well, an, an amount of vocab and themes that we talk. We talk about extracurriculum activities. We talk about hobbies. We talk about jobs. We talk about struggles. Why have you been? So I just, I, I feel like we are in this race of covering, which is putting us in a situation super unsustainable as teachers but very frustrating for the students too. But I want to ask you a question. You were talking about at the beginning of what is the definition of output and how that has to be expressing a message. So there has to be a message that we're expressing. So can you help us a little bit? Because I know that we just sometimes think, okay, this is an output activity for sure. And maybe we're missing. So is there like a framework or some type of question that we can like reflect on when we're designing an activity and say, this is for sure an activity that is output that is going to help my students access that system and really help them to develop proficiency instead of just moving their mouth, <laughs> instead of just, you know, like producing something without any, anything else. So. I, I don't know if you can help us doing like some yeah. type of questions and help us with like a framework. 
Well, so the two questions, the two essential questions would be, number one, can they do it without paying attention to meaning? Could you feasibly do it? I'm not saying, I'm not talking about the super motivated student who will still try to understand. I'm talking about the student who's trying to put minimum effort, okay? So could that student still get it done without understanding things, without knowing what they're saying in the case of output, right? Without knowing what they're saying. If the answer is yes, then there's no meaning being expressed. They're not retrieving forms that are attached to a meaning. They're just retrieving forms, right? Um, so the first question is, could they do it without paying attention to meaning or without knowing what they're saying, if that helps you better? And then the other question, again, I just go back to, is the student retrieving from their head? Um, or is the student retrieving from an external resource? If it's entirely an external resource, and there's meaning, okay, they're demonstrating that they understand, okay, that could count as input. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it just doesn't count as output. It, it won't give you the benefits of output if it's not output. That's the, that's really the bottom line here. Um, I, I show an example of, you know, a, a class survey, right, where the teacher gave the students all the translations, right? They ask your classmates these questions. Te gusta? equals do you like <laughs> uh no me gusta right all of the options are given for the students with the english translations and then they have to ask about different fruits and vegetables and everything is labeled with a picture right which is the picture is the equivalent of a translation let's be honest i mean the english is not there but in their brains it's like okay i recognize that is apple right if you're doing that and the student is just going around the room or asking their classmate next to them do you like te gusta no no me gusta but essentially what the student is doing is repeating what you told them, right? You gave them all of the language, then it's not coming from their heads. Is it input? Okay, I'll give you that much. It could be input, but it's not output. It's just not output. And so you cannot go from that to, okay, now they're ready to do it on their own because they might not be, right? They haven't retrieved all of that from their head. They retrieved that from the paper you gave them or from whatever you're displaying. And so I think that is the student retrieving from their head? If the answer is yes, then that's what builds those stronger connections. That's what builds the skill of retrieving from the system. Um, so the, the meaning part, the first question, could they do it without knowing what they're saying? I think applies mostly to drills. Right. And if you're still doing drills, so for example, reading out loud, repeat after me, copy sentences, rearrange these words, or um, sometimes rearrange these words, they have to know what they are. Um, transformation drills, <laughs> right? I'll give you the singular, you give me the plural, right? Those kinds of things, most students can do them without knowing exactly what the words are, uh, and they can still do them correctly. And so that's where it's not output. Um, and, and that's not what Meryl Swain, who proposed the output hypothesis, was talking about when she was talking about output um, or about this idea of retrieving from their system because they're not retrieving anything. First of all, it's just forms. And second of all, it's not really coming from anywhere except repeating what you're saying. Um, you're probably going to get some hate mail saying, well, no, but I see value in reading out loud. Okay. So now let's talk about things like that or repeat, right? Repeat after me, core repetition. Um, I, I really, I mean, if it has a sentimental value to you and you're not ready to let it go, I respect that. Um, if you're doing it simply because the students think it's fun and it's a brain break, 
I respect that. As long as it's not a matter of, no, see, the students can repeat and therefore now they can have a conversation. Those two things are not going to go together. So as long as you have realistic expectations of what practice you're doing, what effect that practice is having, I have no problem with it. Um, just think about whether the practice you're doing, such as choral repetition, is really giving you what you're hoping it gives you. So if what you're hoping with core repetition is that their pronunciation improves, think about whether that's the most effective way to go about it. Because if my 20, 25 students are repeating at the same time, there's no way for me to know who's saying something wrong. I just, I'm not, my human limitations don't allow me to pinpoint who said which vowel wrong or who said, it's just impossible for me. And so is it helping anybody? My my inclination would be to say that it's not helping many at all, that there could be better ways of going about it. I'm not saying there's no room for it at all, but maybe if you're worried about a specific student's pronunciation, maybe, yeah, have them record some things and you can give them more specific feedback on pronunciation, working on pronunciation with that student, as opposed to the core repetition that is just not going to do a whole lot. And it's and again, it's not output. They're not retrieving from their system. And they could do it without knowing what they're saying. So that is the double not going to do a whole lot. And I think that is exactly what we need, right? Like at the end, we make our decisions based on all, many, many aspects yes. in our class. But it's understanding why you're doing what we're doing. What is the yes. purpose? So we decided, you know what? I'm going to spend 40 minutes on this and three minutes on this because I know yep. that this feels good. This is something my students enjoy, but it's not really building anything here. So yeah. I'm going to just give it two minutes instead of I'm going to focus on this and this is going to be my my central strategy right. when we know that it just doesn't have the effect that we think that we have. So I think that is so, so important. Now, you told us several examples of, okay, this is what we think it may be output, but it's not really output. Can you give us some examples of things that are output that we can create, like activities that we can do in our, in, in our classes that are output, like output, output for a developing proficiency? Yes. So we have several examples in chapters uh, five and six of Common Ground. Um, the main thing, even chapter four, as we move from the reading or the text to presentational, we have some ideas there too. Um, the key points would be that you're making sure that you've really moved from input to output. And by that, I mean that whatever output you are expecting, the input needs to have mirrored it as closely as possible. Um, the, the example that I give is you cannot be talking about menus, 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 and that was the input. And then the output is write a review of a restaurant. Re a review is going to have a very different structure. It's a different genre. It's different. It's just different. And so if the student never had enough opportunities to interact meaningfully with restaurant reviews, then they should not be expected to write a restaurant review just yet. Right. So always try to make sure that you're moving from the input to output as directly as I can. It has to be relevant to whatever output um, you are expecting. The other thing that I would say is move slow, right? So if you have, especially the beginning, right, the students cannot be producing a lot on their own, but you know that they like to be saying things in the target language and talking to each other and all that. Um, we have an example at the end of chapter one, which is framing things as predictions and confirmations. And so 
the part where they're making predictions about their classmates' routine, and then they're going to be asking questions to confirm, that part you can provide a lot of scaffolding in the form of input, and maybe the student is just filling in a few details, right, that they're thinking, what time do they get up? They're just filling out the time, not everything. Um, or sometimes you can do a few of them and then add three more, right, where you're pushing them to say something else once they sort of got warmed up, you know, and they have something else that now they want to uh, figure out about their classmate. Um, and then I do think that it's important to give novice learners, even intermediate low, time to think about what are you going to ask? <laughs> um, and, and that is still output because the student is the one coming up with the questions but you still need to give them, there's nothing wrong with the students writing questions down when it's novice, high, intermediate, low. They need that time. Otherwise the brain cannot be holding so much information, right? And so give them time to write the questions to get help from you if they need to. And then they can interview each other, right? Then they can uh, ask each other questions. Um, another important point there is if you are going to be doing something like that, make sure that the students understand what kind of questions they can ask, right? Because they might know how to ask why, but their classmate may not know how to answer why. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to make sure that we're setting up everybody for success within the interaction and not people getting frustrated at not understanding. Uh, and yes, even if the students are writing questions down, that doesn't make it not interpersonal because there is still a gap in information. I'm asking you a question and then you respond. And then even as you respond or even if, as I asked you something, there could still be negotiation of meaning. I didn't understand what you said. So can you please clarify, right? So all of that is still taking place. Um, I, I think we need to, I understand where, it's, where it comes from. <laughs> the fear of, oh my God, if they write things down is no longer interpersonal. But that's not that's not really true, right? Interpersonal has nothing to do with 100% um, oral uh, conversation. And it's not also... 100% spontaneous. It, it, it's just simply not that way. We prepare for, for things all the time. And, and I think that still makes it interpersonal. But um, in terms of um, output activities, what I would probably say is beginning levels um, put more weight on presentational writing than interpersonal speaking, for sure. Interpersonal speaking should be so small and probably very predictable, right? In what they can do, um, but not to put so much pressure. Uh, presentational writing is output, and to me is actually really good output because the students focus more on what they're saying. They have more time to think about what they want to say, to notice words, to notice forms. They are retrieving from their system. So I think that, you know, we don't need to always be thinking about talking or speaking. And there is a correlation between writing and speaking uh, and how writing can actually help them be able to then have more fluent conversations later on. So um, for most languages, of course, let me clarify, I teach Spanish. And so the, the alphabet is the same in English and Spanish. And so we it's something we don't have to worry about. Other languages, yes, I understand that uh, you may want to go slow on the writing part because it, it involves learning a new alphabet, for example. So that is definitely different. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this conversation is so good. And because, and I think what you gave us here is such a great framework when we're trying to design this 
output activities for all our levels. Because I I totally agree. I think there is no nobody saying, oh, don't don't create any output in the first years. Is be very mindful, and when we are doing it, let's set up first. And I think when we're giving meaning, is not only that we are really truly doing output for proficiency, but also it creates a true motivation for students. Because when we when we are asking them to use their voice to express something, a preference, their ideas, something that is truly like from them, it will create much more motivation that we're just doing a drill. I don't know how many times I said into this skits when I was start learning Spanish and they say, create these skits. And I remember my students memorizing because at the beginning I let them read, which was a disaster because they were not even making eye contact. And, you know, they were saying that something tragic happened and their expression was like they didn't have a clue of what they were saying. And then I said, no, you need to memorize it. And it, it was even worse because they forgot the word and they, they turn and say, how do you say that word? Like nobody knew the word. And it was just so painful and it was so frustrating for them and for me. So really understanding how and how we can make them for success is so important and really understanding what are the elements of output so we can retrieve that and really help our students develop that proficiency that we want. And okay, I, wait, but I, there's one more before yes. we move on. Okay, so the other thing that I hope more people keep in mind, and I know this is the hard one, but to try to remember that output because it goes back to what you said for them to they're expressing themselves that output should not be language practice mm -hmm. because yes they're expressing meaning they're retrieving from their head right and so you're like okay i'm good to go but are you doing output as language practice then what i would ask what i would invite you to do is at least try to figure out a way that someone's output is someone else's input and they need to be doing something with it so that it doesn't always, and this is also because you as a teacher have limited time, very limited time, doesn't always have to be they write something you graded, they write something you graded, they write something you graded, that you're always the only audience for their words. Uh, even if you have them sharing class, if everyone's asleep and they're just reading what they wrote and you are the only ones paying attention and nodding and asking questions, then you're still the only audience. So try to see how you can expand their audiences to include other students, to include maybe other classes, whatever you can do, but not to always, always, always you be the one and only main audience uh, that their words have. And I think that I understand some of the concerns with Will, but their output is not going to be perfect. Nobody's output is perfect. Let me tell you that. <laughs> right. I mean, otherwise, I don't I mean, even even if the, the teaching licensing programs were required superior, which, oh, my God, nobody would be a teacher. Uh, even then, it's still not perfect. So don't be so concerned with flawed input for everyone else. I think it's still perfectly okay for the students to be saying something and someone else needs to understand it and do something with that language. Um, so the, the fear that they're going to learn each other's errors, research just does not confirm that because they would need to be exposed to that same error, if you will, so frequently and not ever be exposed <laughs> to the accurate input 
for them to then be able to acquire. So don't be so afraid that if they say something wrong, then everyone else is kind of learning. So I'm the only source of input here. Because then again, I'm sorry, but I don't know anybody who speaks perfectly. And so you're <laughs> even even when you speak in class, it's probably not flawless. And so and your students are just fine. And so I don't think that we need to be so concerned that um, just because it's student output, that that couldn't serve as input for the rest of the class. And so try to give it a purpose. Why are they writing? Why are they communicating this to their to their classmates? Um, the purpose of building community is lovely. But for some students, it may not be enough for them to be paying attention because it's like, well, but I already know them from outside of class or but, but who cares? I'm never going to see them again. So if they're still not paying attention, they're still not quite an audience. So try to think of a concrete purpose that the other ones are paying attention and they're going to have to do something with that information. I think you put an example in Common Ground. Uh, maybe I'm mixing it up with something that you said sometime and something that I read. I don't remember, but I think it was something about a survey. And based after the survey, it, when you know you get all the students' answer, then you decide what is the most popular sport or what is the most popular sport in our class or for our class. Mm -hmm. What is the most popular class for our class? Because then you have an audience, which is your classmate, but then you have a purpose and it's to create a chart with like the five most popular sports in this class or what would be the five most, uh, I don't know, the easiest healthy habits that we can have and just report back where you have that purpose. And, and as a matter of fact, Lawrence, I think that's what we do in life, right? Like we we say something and then somebody says like, what did you say? Did I understand that correctly? So allowing the students for that experience is so important to develop those skills that we really want to develop. And that only happens when we're really trying to do communication in class, when you're really trying to comprehend what you're saying, do interpretation of what you're saying, expressing meaning. And at the end, that is what we have. We need to have a purpose. We have to have meaning. We have to have an, uh, an audience, a real audience for a real purpose, different than practices that predated and imperfect and subjunctive and all <laughs> those cute things. Now, some of the purposes, I, I have to um, admit, I don't have a problem with the purpose being more along the lines of pedagogical, right? That it may not be something that you do in, quote unquote, the real world, I prefer to say outside of the classroom, right? But um, it doesn't always have to be that. And the reason why I say that is because, for example, um, if I have my students write something, but then they have to cut it up into little strips and then someone else has to put it back together, is still a way to say that their output was their input, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing something with it. Or if it's gallery walk and they each have to ask a question or they each have to post a picture that goes along with that description, right? Whatever it is. Yes, it's very classroom-based. We don't go around the room posting pictures, right? So I get it that it's very limited to the classroom. But to me, there's nothing wrong with it. What I keep coming back to is, are you giving them a concrete, real reason for paying attention to what their classmate is sharing? Um, again, if you have super motivated learners who just want to learn about each other, beautiful. It's just not my case. It, we get a lot of students who are, you know, they're tired. And if they're tired, they don't want to pay attention. The brain shuts off. You know, I was I was that student too. You know, you you love learning languages, but if you're tired, you're tired. Your brain is like, I'm done paying attention for a little while. Let me just turn off. And so if you want them to be paying attention to what their classmate is saying, because you wanna you want it, you want the classmate to feel like it was purposeful, 
and that someone did something with that information they shared, um, then you have to build that into the activity as opposed to entirely relying on how nice that, you know, Fulanito shared, you know, like you have to make it a little bit more concrete. And yes, if you find a real world purpose, beautiful. But if you don't, and is it very much a pedagogical, you know, true, false or whatever it is, that's fine no, with me too. As long as it's more. something they need to Doing doing something with it with whatever their classmates said that you know the examples we have in common ground are just about anything from you know they have to guess how much the item costs you know if it's an ad they have to illustrate something they have to essentially all of the things that you would have them demonstrate that they understood you now they have to demonstrate that they understood their classmate. I love that. And by the way, Fulanito is not a name. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. And that only that's only gonna make sense to the Spanish speakers. I should have said what what what's the English equivalent, Claudia? No, Florence. I have no idea. <laughs> I just love it. Like Fulanito said, no, Fulanito is not a name. Fulanito okay. is like a what person, a random person. That's how Johnny, we call it. Johnny said. It's not even it's not even a name. Johnny at least is a could be an actual student, but Fulanito I've never encountered. So it's just a made up non-name that we use in Spanish to say like person said, but it's a made up name. Yeah. Oh my god. But is but yeah, is it a made made I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna tell a story and then we are gonna close, but I really want to hear the when you to hear this story. So my dad was like amazing and he made up words but we didn't know so one word was chuntaco chuntaco is a remote control chuntaco and i was you know i was raised with the word chuntaco one day i go to my friend's house and i said hey where is the chuntaco for the tv and then she just looks at me like chuntaco what is a chuntaco i said chuntaco and i was like how you don't know what a chuntaco is and she's like what do you mean? And then I just gesture, you know, changing the channel. And she's like, do you mean a remote control? Un control remoto? And I said, yeah, I mean, like a chuntaco. And I said, that is not the name. That's a made up name. And I said, no, it's not. And I said, look in the dictionary. And it wasn't there. It was because my dad made it. So he made up the word chuntaco that is part of my repertoire of words. So that is fulanito too. Okay, so that was just like a side note. Okay, but can I can I just point out how many times you said chuntaco in telling that story that I think all of your audience and me will never forget that word ever again. So there you go. See the power of frequency. And an emotional attachment to the word. To, oh, and emotional attachment to the yeah. world. Okay, Florencia, we are going to do a second part because in the second part, we're going to talk about a little bit about is the process or is the product. And we're going to talk a little bit about assessment of the output and feedback. Ooh. Okay, so I know that you are dying to listen to that. We are going to say goodbye for now, and uh, we will see you next week. Florencia, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Claudia. It was a pleasure as always. Okay, bye-bye. Nos vemos.